you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Move the Sticks presented by the Ford F-Series. DJ Buck here on a, a maiden voyage here, Sunday night podcast. So I imagine you probably listened to this on Monday morning. Hopefully you're on your way to work, on your way to school, starting off your week, we wanted to have a little something to jam in your ears right when you start your week. And Bucky, this is uh, this is our first shot here to Sunday night. How you doing, man? Man, I'm good. I'm good. It's been a uh, long football weekend, but it was great having an opportunity to watch NFL games today. It was great working game day live with you and Rhett and the crew, and then checking out the rest of the afternoon games. It was a pretty fun Sunday. No, it was a lot of fun. And so for those that uh, don't know what we're doing here, we've mentioned that this is coming on the other podcast, but here's what we've got going on. Sunday nights, we're going to do a podcast on our 10 big takeaways from the Sunday of NFL football. And Bucky and I were both at some college games, and we'll talk college football on the Tuesday podcast. This is all NFL, all instant reaction. What we saw, we're doing that show, as you mentioned, Game Day Live, uh, you know, watching all these games and come back and look at, look at some other information as well and trying to digest it. We'll have time to go through the All-22 tape, and, and we'll hit some of that a little bit later in the week. But just kind of an instant reaction of what we're seeing here and how we're going to break this down. It's going to be 10 takeaways. Uh, Bucky and I have gotten together on this and come up with 10 things that we took away from the Sunday. And then uh, we're going to see what we missed, what slipped through the cracks. we got Sully as our backup here. Sully, our producer, is going to go ahead and give us some other storylines we might have missed so we can get a quick take on that. And Sully's going to keep us uh, keep us honest here on the numbers. So uh, we got our notes here, but we want to make sure we're not spitting out any any wrong numbers. So, Sully, you're on number duty. You good with that, pal? I got you guys. Let's do this thing. All right, let's, uh, let's jump right in here. Uh, number one takeaway, Buck, and, uh, man, we were just talking about this. This Sunday night game between the Cowboys and the Giants Biggest takeaway for me is the value of Odell Beckham Jr. We can talk about, you know, it's a wide receiver versus a quarterback and the key positions on the football field. Pass rusher is more important. I don't know, man. You get a playmaker like that and you take him out of that offense, that's a different look of football team in the Giants. Yeah, very different looking football team. And I was really excited about the Giants heading into the season. I thought with their wide receiver core that they had assembled that they would be really very 
like challenging to defend. Odell Beckham, Brandon Marshall, Sterling Shepard, and Evan Ingram. I thought people would have a tough time matching up. But what I've come to realize, and I kind of knew this from last year, Odell Beckham Jr. is the best player on the New York Giants. He's the most important player on the New York Giants, and that includes the two-time Super Bowl MVP in Eli Manning. He basically is the straw that stirs the drink. And when you remove him from the field, this offense doesn't have the ability to produce explosive plays, and the rest of the receivers have a tough time uncovering. So for a guy who wants to be paid big money, a guy who is not necessarily flirted with holdouts, but has talked about his contract situation, I'm thinking that he is the most valuable player on the Giants, and they may need to pay him quarterback money because that's the value that he brings to the New York Giants because without him they had a tough time moving the ball against the Dallas Cowboys and the Dallas Cowboys don't necessarily have a premier defense it's just the song right you don't know what you got till it's gone and when you take Odell Beckham out of this group out of this lineup the field just shrinks I mean they can't run the ball a lick they at all pass protect and you don't have guys that can uncover right away when we talk about slotting these receivers Okay, I don't know about you. Look, it's one week. I, I don't want to be in the overreaction business. But Brandon Marshall, I mean, he wasn't even a thought in this offense. Just looked, I mean, just looked like a complete non-factor for this football team. And you slot him, he has to go up in the lineup when you don't have Odell Beckham out there, and it's that's no good. No, his role, I think now, his role is he definitely cannot be a number one receiver at this stage of his career. He has a tough time creating separation from tight coverage. The Dallas Cowboys basically suffocated him. He couldn't get loose. And, in fact, the best receiver that they had was Roger Lewis and some of the plays that he was able to make. He was targeted six times, had four receptions, 54 yards. When Odell Beckham Jr. comes back, and because they're leaning so heavily on this quick rhythm passing game where guys make plays on catch and runs, they have to have Odell Beckham Jr. because he can take the five-yard slant and make it a 75-yard play. Without him, they don't have the ability really to flip the field or create the explosive or chunk plays that this offense needs. Yeah, to use a basketball analogy, I talk about they're just playing half court. I mean, they, they can't stretch the floor at all without him out there. I do, before we want to move on to our next point, we're going to hit some subtopics underneath these Big Ten here. Uh, look, Demarcus Lawrence and this uh, this Cowboys defense, let's give them a lot of credit under Rod Marinelli. They were flying around. Sully, I'm going to hit you up with, for some numbers on that. Demarcus Lawrence, what his stat line looked like today? He was making all kinds of plays. Two sacks, three tackles for loss, and I think the Giants got to him three times total. So uh, definitely definitely getting some heat. Jalen Smith, Smith also out in the field. Get a chance to see him start his first NFL game. That was a great storyline. Uh, how about some numbers on him, Sully? Jalen Smith, let me look it up real quick. Yeah, look, so right in front of me, I have seven tackles, it. four solos. Um, but more importantly, DJ, and we talked about this guy was maybe the top player in the draft a year yep. ago when he was coming out, top defensive player, outstanding defensive prospect. And even though he's still not that player that we saw at Notre Dame, he is a difference maker on this team. You could argue and say that he's probably a blue-chip player on this team, one of their best players, because his activity between the hashes certainly impacts the game. Whether it's coming downhill, making plays on the running back, or dropping in the coverage, you feel his presence on the field. And I'm actually excited about what I saw from the young secondary, uh, Awuzie and some of the other guys that had an opportunity to play in this Rod Marinelli scheme, the Tampa 2 defense where they played a little man and a lot of cover two when they got you in long-yarded situations. They were able to dictate the terms. And I, when I look at their formula, I believe that the Cowboys have a blueprint that absolutely could put them in the Super Bowl, run the ball, 
throw the ball with a high percentage rate, and then lean on this defense to bend but don't break and force people to kick instead of scoring seven, the Cowboys can win a lot of games because, in essence, they play like Wisconsin basketball. If you get down to the Dallas Cowboys with their running game and their defense, they can hold you off, and it's tough to score two or three times when they're really eating up all the clock because that's what they did in the second half. No question, and also interesting mix for them. Even though they had control of the game, 39 passes, 31 runs, so they are putting the ball in Dak Prescott's hands a little bit and trusting him to make good decisions to protect the football, which he did. All right, that's point number one. Cross that one off the list. Let's move on to number two here. And, Buck, this to me, look, we I know personally I did. I don't know if you did at all, but, man, on Twitter I took a lot of grief from the Baltimore Ravens fans thinking that we had underrated their defense. Tried to make the point, look, you – we love your defense. It's just the defenses in this division are outstanding. And, you know, might say you're a top six defense in the league, but in this division, we maybe had you slotted in around number three. But, man, uh, they've, they've, got, uh, they've got some evidence they can throw in our face after what they did to the Cincinnati Bengals. That was a thrashing and a shutout performance that they had. Yeah, it was absolutely a throwback performance for the Baltimore Ravens. And even in saying that about their front seven, when you look at some of the other front sevens in the division, on paper, from a talent perspective, maybe there's some that are more talented. But what the Baltimore Ravens have, and I wrote about this this week in my notebook, they have a formula and a blueprint that can be successful. It's been successful in Baltimore for the last 15 or so years. When they lean on their defense and everything is catered around their defense, they win games. When they play perfect complementary football, meaning they don't ask Joe Flacco to throw the ball around the yard, they lean on the running game, they punt when they need to punt, and they let their defense create the opportunities, their defense is good enough to get it done. Tony Jefferson was an immediate impact player, nine tackles, one sack, tackle for loss, made plays in the passing game. This is a defense that shut them out. They held the Bengals to 170 passing yards, and they got five turnovers, the same kind of play that we saw in the preseason carried over. I'm impressed with this defense, and I think if Baltimore continues to play the Ravens' way, they're going to win a lot of games in AFC North. Yeah, they had, didn't really uh, need much offense. Didn't need a whole lot of offense at all on this one. The defense took care of business for them. The old saying, didn't, if you don't score, you don't win. But uh, they had yeah, they had four picks, five sacks, and it's the Ravens' first shutout since November of 2009. You know, but DJ, as you talk about the, the offense, the thing that pops to me and is something that – when I wrote about it, I talked about John Harbaugh would have to talk to Marty Moore where he can see if he could get him on board. The Baltimore Ravens ran the ball 42 times. They split the carries between Terrence West and Buck Allen. Terrence West had 19 carries for 80 yards. Allen had 21 carries for 71 yards, 157 rushing yards. If the Baltimore Ravens are committed to running the football, they will win games, and everyone in Baltimore will see the kind of team that they want to see in the postseason. No question. I'm with you. I mean, it was a dominating performance by their front, and uh, they play like that. They're going to win a lot of football games. I will say on the Bengals' side of things, missing some key players, especially on the defensive side of the ball. That's that's not uh, not what we expected to see from that football team, but I don't know you really can put much on their defense when the offense completely lays an egg and turns the ball over as many times as they did. Uh, so, look, we'll see how this Bengals team reacts and gets better. Not their best performance week one at home. Wow, not good. Uh, let's move on number three here. Stay inside the division. Uh, partly stay inside the division. You got a couple rookie quarterbacks, Deshaun Kaiser, who we knew was going to start coming into the week, and then we also had another one in uh, Deshaun Watson, who ended up seeing a lot of playing time a little earlier than we all expected for the Houston Texans. Let's start first with Kaiser and what you saw from him, Buck. Well, I mean, I thought we saw uh, the typical roller coaster performance that you would see from most rookies. 
Deshaun Kaiser, we've talked about this. Deshaun Kaiser is everything that you look for at the quarterback position from a physical standpoint. He's big. He's athletic. He has A-plus arm talent. He can make all the throws inside and outside, and he can really push it down the field. He was 20 for 30. He had 222 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception, and also had a rushing touchdown. At times, he looked like a high-level quarterback, a guy who could throw with timing and anticipation. He attacked every level of the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense, and the Cleveland Browns' offense moved. At other times, he held onto the ball, took far too many sacks than he should have taken, seven sacks, gave up 42 yards. He has to let the ball come out of his hands quicker. But overall, I thought it was a solid debut, things that he needs to work on, but I thought it was really solid. I think you could be hopeful if you're a Cleveland Browns fan. Yeah, look, you don't have any running game to support you whatsoever. Isaiah Crowell, 33 yards on 17 carries. They couldn't get anything going on the ground. Kaiser did have the one rushing touchdown. But, Buck, you talked about the internal clock, and that was one of the issues that Kaiser had at Notre Dame is knowing when to get rid of the football, knowing when to give up on a play. This is what's so cool about stats now is because you mentioned the seven sacks that he took. Uh, I was intrigued because we have this next-gen stats uh, uh, capability to get all kinds of information. So I wanted to reach out to the folks there. Uh, and Ethan actually did us a solid on this one because I wanted to know the amount of time on Kaiser's sacks versus what the average time was on sacks last year. Sully, uh, do you have those numbers in front of you there, pal? Yeah, uh, the average is 4.48 league-wide last year, and he held on the ball 5.09 seconds. Yeah, so that's a that's a significant difference there. So he's got to get rid of the football. Uh, T.J. Watt uh, subsequently got a he got a little got a little love on those uh, him holding the football that benefited him. He had a huge day, two sacks and a pick. The interception was outstanding for T.J. Watt. The uh, the Steelers got themselves a good one there. But let's let's switch over to the other rookie quarterback into Sean Watson. First of all, my opinion, Buck. I'll get your take on it. We were talking about this live on the air when it happened, but you know, going to him early. Man, you, it's an early hook for, for Tom Savage, somebody that you and I haven't really bought into. But even with that in mind, man, that's a that's an early hook. However, they couldn't protect him. I mean, they could not protect him. He could not get away from anybody. So just from that standpoint alone, to give yourself a chance, I think they almost had to make a change and get Deshaun Watson out there. How about your take? Yeah, that was my take. You know, with Tom Savage, I was a little confused as to why he was already penciled in as a starter. I understood the familiarity with the system, the fact that he had been there, but he only had two starts under his belt. He had yet to throw a touchdown pass. And then when you talk about the offensive line woes, Tom Savage is more of a classic drop-back passer. doesn't have necessarily have a high level of athleticism, so he can't escape when the pocket collapses. What we saw, he took six sacks while he was in for a half. Um, 7 of 13, 62 passing yards, no tubs, no interceptions, only averaged 4.8 yards per pass. And this offense was not moving. They couldn't get the ball out. They couldn't generate any kind of juice or energy to, to move the ball down the field. Deshaun Watson comes in, and even though he was a rookie, they responded a little better with the young fella in there. He didn't finish the night with great numbers. He was only 12 of 23 for 102 yards, but he did have a touchdown, and he made some plays if – they're willing to kind of open up the field, go some empty, do some of the quick rhythm things that he did at Clemson. I believe he would give them a better shot on offense than Tom Savage. Hey, getting on the move, he's a lot more comfortable there. Um, took off, made some a couple plays with his legs. They had the pick that really I thought, you know, look, he got bailed out a little bit on the interception that he threw to Miles Jack. Had some hands to the face uh, by the Jags that negated that interception. But overall, first time out there, probably not ex- anticipating seeing the field at all. I, you know, there were some encouraging signs there. Um, you know, this team, no matter who's playing quarterback, has got to get better up front or they're not going to have any chance whatsoever. It'll be interesting to see, though, 
what they do. Uh, is, uh, is Bill O'Brien going to just go ahead and say, hey, we're going to roll with Watson this early and, and just let him kind of work through the growing pains here? Or are they going to give Tom Savage more of a shot at this thing? I mean, that, look, it, you almost you feel bad for Savage. I mean, you get a half a football uh, and then you're out of there. But I almost think they, they did it to protect him. Ten sacks for the Jags, Buck. I mean, this is uh, that actually can lead us right into our next point. We talk about rookie quarterbacks. We're going to go right into the Jags and what they did uh, defensively. What a performance. Miles Jack, look, finally he's a starter now. He looks fully healthy. He's comfortable in this defensive scheme. All he did was rip off 14 tackles. Calais Campbell, big free agent addition. He comes in, gets you four sacks. Ten sacks for the football team. I mean, this is a, this was thorough domination by this Jaguar defense, and they mixed in a nice running game as well. It was a good day for Jacksonville. Absolutely great day for Jacksonville. And I think if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, you now understand what the formula for success is. It's about the defense. It's about Leonard Fournette and Chris Ivory in the running game. And it's about making sure that Blake Bortles doesn't have to make plays in the passing game unless you're dictating the terms. This defense has had the opportunity to not only get a bunch of top picks over the past decade, they've also added some marquee free agent names. And so when you look at the stat sheet, the first thing that pops out, all of those marquee additions showed up. Miles Jack, you talk about 14 total tackles. A.J. Bouye, six tackles, had a pass breakup. Calais Campbell, four sacks, five hits on the quarterback. A couple years ago, they picked up Tayshawn Gibson, six tackles, two pass breakups. Barry Church comes over. Uh, Malik Jackson came over, Dante Fowler. All of their stars showed up on defense. And so if I am Doug Marone, I'm Tom Coughlin, I'm Dave Caldwell, I like what the foundation is doing. Now we have to continue to figure out a way to get this offense to be productive enough where we can win games. But defensively, this was a top 10 defense last year. They played like a top 10 defense today. And the formula. I mean, we can talk about the formula for this football team, and I think you, you found it here. Run the ball 39 times, you, you throw it 21 times. Blake Bortles only has to put up 125 yards. You win a game comfortably behind your defense, behind your run game. But, you know, talk about the Jags and, and the physical camp that they had uh, under Tom Coughlin. Look, you can say he's, he's not coaching this football team, but I think you feel his influence. You heard a lot about that. Wow, do they, ha- do they have their legs? Their legs might be dead. From, uh, from how many reps they've been taking. They've really been getting after it at training camp. Look, in the trenches, they were the more physical football team by a long shot in this game. But I do think that we'd be mistaken if we didn't acknowledge that, that there could be something at play here with the Texans before you get carried away and, and, and think that they're no good. How do you go through what they've gone through with this storm, with, with Hurricane Harvey and oh, everybody being displaced, and have that not affect you? Look, in this game, Bucky, Jadavian Clowney, one tackle. J.J. Watt, one tackle. These are great players. Some of the best defensive players in the National Football League. They had no legs. They had no juice. They had no energy. And I think you got to look at the situation that they've been in and, and have some understanding and some almost the words compassion. I mean, look, the guy's gone out. J.J. Watt went out and raised $30 million, a lot more important than uh, than going out there and, and making some plays on a football field. I just think it looked like a tired, slow football team in this game, and I you can kind of understand why. Yeah, you you absolutely can understand why. It was a very emotional day. You're playing at home. You understand the situation that was at hand with the weather and the situation. So many displaced people, J.J. Watt, and a bunch of other Texans being um, heroic in the community, really trying to galvanize the Houston community. But I'm not going to necessarily take anything away from Jacksonville because I do believe that when they're able to dictate – 
the ten and the tempo of the fight, they certainly can be a team that kind of overwhelms you with their physicality and toughness. Cam Robinson did a great job controlling the edges and really knocked around Jadavian Clowney in the run game. You have Leonard Fournette kind of slamming it up in there between the tackles, 26 carries, 100 yards, caught the ball out the backfield, added another 24 receiving yards. This is how the Jacksonville Jaguars have to play. And I think what's interesting and what will come out of this week is as much as we talk about the quarterback, it's only four, five, six, seven elite quarterbacks. The rest of the league has to play a certain way to win games, and we are seeing that those teams are realizing that, and they're trying to find a way to mask their quarterback deficiencies by leaning on their defense and the running game to allow them to get to the winner's circle. Yeah, we're going to touch on something else that took place in that game to a key member of the Jags. We'll get to that point a little bit lower on the list here. Uh, Number five on the list. Keep this thing moving here, Bucky. Uh, Great game. Two teams I think we'll see in the postseason, the Raiders and the Titans. But to me, the takeaway that I had from this football game, the Raiders, look, they got good pieces there with Marshawn Lynch and this passing attack. But to me, Tennessee Titans, they're out there in a lot of three wide receiver sets. I think somebody even tweeted out at one point in time how they'd never been in this many three wide receiver sets in in the 11 personnel um, much more so than they were last year. And when I looked at the stats, what jumped out to me, the Tennessee Titans throwing the ball 41 times, running it 21 times. This is not their formula. This is not what worked for them last year. This is not what. This is not the way people envision this thing going. They got some new weapons, some new toys in the passing game, Corey Davis being one of them. But this team needs to be built with physicality and built to the running game, and that did not happen in this game against the Raiders. No, it didn't happen in this game. And, and here's the – the problem sometimes when we're, we're looking at the quarterback and so much of the conversation on the outside is about you got to build around the quarterback. you got to give him the weapons. We have to grow Marcus Mariota. We have to make sure that he's a franchise quarterback capable of, of doing all these things from the pocket. However, the Tennessee Titans were a tough team, a tough out last year because they could run the ball because they were physical. They made the game physical. They made you play in a phone booth. Now, when you spread the the, the field out and you put three and four wide receivers on the field, you lose some of that physicality and toughness that really became your identity. I believe that after they look at the tape and go back and go through the game plan, next week they try and get it corrected. They try and be, they try to become a little more balanced and really try and lean on the running game because that will ultimately help Marcus Mariota have more splash plays in the passing game. And as I talk about them leaning more on the running game, one positive though in the passing game, I mentioned Corey Davis, uh, what were his numbers in this game here, Sully? What did he end up finishing with? I know he had a handful of catches in this thing. Right, right. Corey Davis went 6 for 69. Uh, good debut there for the rookie. Yeah, no, I did no preseason there uh, because of the injury. He's got a chance to be a great player. So they've got a good one there, but I still think identity-wise, they need to be a ground-and-pound football team. All right, Buck, maybe one of the, the best coaching jobs of the weekend, and to me, I think when you look at these two teams on paper – uh, I'd love to get uh, your take on this one, but man, you look at what the Bears have personnel-wise, and you look at what the Falcons have personnel-wise. For this to come down to the last play, uh, the Bears had several opportunities, uh, several cracks at it inside the 10 to, to win this football game, didn't get it done. But I thought it was a nice job by their group there with the Bears to keep this game competitive. And a guy that, that's been a favorite of ours, I swear we've talked about Tariq Cohen for months and months and months. I think months it's been, we're on draft. like a four-day, four-episode oh. streak now. We talk about him all the time, but I feel vindicated, Bucky, because yes. all of our efforts to, to promote Tariq Cohen paid off with, with what he showed for a Bears team that's severely lacking in weapons. Uh, but, man, he kept him in the football game. 
He absolutely kept him in the football game. He is a one-man show uh, on the perimeter. He had what, 13 total touches, uh, well over 100 scrimmage yards, uh, did a great job of making plays when he had the ball in his hands. And, in fact, you can make the argument that even though Jordan Howard was the number two rusher in the National Football League a season ago, Tariq Cohen may be a more impactful player for the Chicago Bears. And when you don't have weapons in the receiving game, you don't have someone that can really take the top off the defense or stretch the field or act as a true number one, we are finding that Tariq Cohen might be their number one receiver and their best impact player at running back already. And we've only seen him play in one game. How about they put him back there in the Wildcat and get down there in the goal line and put him in the Wildcat, actually hand it off to Jordan Howard for a touchdown. So, Got to be creative if you're the Chicago Bears. Kevin White, uh, you know, we'll talk about him a little bit later on here. Uh, another one of the themes for the day. But man, they just don't have a lot of of, uh, of weapons there on offense and defensively. I thought the Bears very competitive against a, a dynamic offense from the Atlanta Falcons. Little sub uh, sub. Uh, uh, I don't even know when my brain's broken, Bucky. But uh, <laughs> a little uh, in the same category, same football game. I want to just get one little nugget in here. How about the tight end? Austin Hooper, what he did for the Atlanta Falcons. If they can get that going with what they already have with Julio Jones, Devontae Freeman, what a nice weapon for Matt Ryan. Yeah, what a nice weapon. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to give Sar- Sarkeesian a lot of credit because he wanted to work the middle of the field. They were able to work that a little bit. Austin Hooper only had two receptions, 128 yards. Uh, one of those was obviously the big play, the 88-yard touchdown on a broken play. But having someone that can command attention in the middle of the field, it will only divert some of that attention away from Julio Jones. When you have the league MVP and Matt Ryan, you want to continue to make sure that his game continues to be at a high level, surround him with the right weapons, allow him to use all of the things that are available to him in the passing game, and let it work. The one concern, they weren't able to run the football to the level that they were able to run it a season ago. Devontae Freeman only had 37 rushing yards. They only had 23 attempts. It seemed like they were just out of sorts in terms of their run-pass ratio. Get back to running the football, lean on that one-two punch and Freeman and Coleman, and allow those guys to really dictate the coverage so now Matt Ryan can stay in attack mode as a passer. All right, let's get to number seven on the list. We're rolling right through this thing. Number seven, Bucky, this is something we talked about before we went on here. Seattle. This offensive line, we talk about the Giants' offensive line, the Seattle offensive line, can't protect, they can't run the ball. Uh, they, look, they had 90 rushing yards in this game, but 40 of them came from Russell Wilson on two carries. Uh, this team, if you can't run the ball, you can't protect your quarterback. I don't care how good you are on defense, and, you know, how, how great your coach is, you're not going to go very far if you can't do those two things. Uh, 18, 18 attempts. 90 yards, but you talk about Russell Wilson being the leading rusher with 40 40 yards yards. on two carries. And then, honestly, Chris Carson was second with six carries and 39 yards, but 30 of those came on one play. So the consistency is what we want to see from the Seattle Seahawks running game. Can they slam it up inside? Can they grind it? Can they really kind of get three yards in a cloud of dust every time they want to get in there so they can kind of slow the game down and limit the possessions for the opponent? Look, this is a team that – they moved on from Marshawn Lynch a couple years ago. But without Marshawn Lynch, this offense doesn't have the identity that really allowed them to be the perennial NFC heavyweight. They need to get back to running the football. But even in spite of that, their defense is so good that it can keep them in the game. But if they want to go to a championship level, they have to get more contributions from the run game to be able to do so. And staying with that game here, a uh, little point you had on the Green Bay Packers when we were talking a little bit earlier, Buck. 
Yeah, you know, when I looked at the Green Bay Packers coming into the year, all of the concern was all about their defense. Do they have enough corners to be able to match up? When you got Kevin King, got some other guys, wanted to throw them in the mix. When I looked at them against the Seattle Seahawks, they only gave up 158 pass yards. They had three sacks, and two guys really stood up to me. Mike Daniels, uh, inside. He's a bad dude. I mean, he's an inside pass rusher. One and a half sacks, had four quarterback hurries. Really did a good job playing inside. And Nick Perry continues to build upon the momentum that he created last year. One and a half sacks was all over the field. The Green Bay Packers defense wasn't thought of in the same light as the Seattle Seahawks, but you could argue that they outplayed them based on the way they're able to kind of control the game and get the turnovers they needed to give them a chance to win. And no question. I was impressed with what Green Bay did there at home. All right, team uh, number – let's go to point number eight here. Team on the West Coast not far away from us. Look, Jared Goff and, and Sean McVay, we talked about some things we saw from them in the preseason, some encouraging signs. This is a much better football team. That's a, that's a big takeaway for me. Uh, much better football team. But I'm going to stick with Sean McVay and what they did with Jared Goff. And I know you had opportunity to work their games, and you saw it all preseason. But this is the Jared Goff that I was excited about. This is the Jared Goff that I liked. One of the guys that – one of the reasons why I put him number one at quarterback is because I thought he had the ability to really play as a point guard from the pocket. He could distribute a ball, get it to the playmakers on the perimeter. Two things have happened this year. Sean McVay has come over and really has mixed in some concepts and some ideas that were very, very similar to what he did at Cal. We saw the Rams today use tempo, going in and out, quick, no huddle, playing with pace. We saw them mix in some of those quick rhythm routes that were also part of what he did at Cal. And we also saw them dictate the turns where they freeze. They would call what we call freeze at the line of scrimmage. They would bark out some dummy signals, see where the defense is in. Jerry Goff would then check to a play that was best suited to attack that coverage. Those things got Jerry Goff hot. We saw him complete 21 of 29 passes, had 300 yards, a touchdown, eight different receivers touched the ball. That's the kind of point guard that I want to see from a number one overall pick. And I thought, look, the weapons that they brought in, when you look at Cooper Cup, you look at Sammy Watkins, you look at Robert Woods, uh, these guys were key additions in the offseason. And, Sully, I don't know if you can pull those numbers up for us here real quick. Why don't you spit those out on Cup, Watkins, and Robert Woods, three guys that uh, were were very competitive for the football team today, and and they're reliable. We talked about being where you're supposed to be and catch the football, and and that's something that they've lacked in this receiving core, and I think they've got a, a nice addition here with this group. Well, if Sully doesn't have it, I have it right in front of me. I got it. I got it. Okay. Four, four for 76 I'm trying for to throw Sully a bone here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 I got it. I got Sully. it. Cup, four for 76 and a touchdown. Been talking about that guy, obviously, forever. Uh, great to see him come out and, and, and throw up numbers like that. Sammy Watkins, five for 58. Uh, and Todd Gurley coming out of the backfield, five Woods? for 56. And Woods, three for 53. Yeah. So, look, they've got they've got some guys to go with the, uh, the football right now. And Cooper Cup. He's going to very quickly develop into one of the best slot receivers in the league, Buck. He's strong. He's physical. He knows how to run routes, knows how to set people up, and he catches everything. So yeah, uh, he's mean, off to a nice start. It was outstanding, and it really reminded me. Basically, what Sean McVay has done, he has recreated what he had in Washington in terms of the way that he really elevated Kirk Cousins' game with all the weapons around him and the style of offense that they played. It really allowed Kirk Cousins to look like a top-ten quarterback. He – in this one short game, I think we could say Jerry Goff looked like a top-10 quarterback. Of those four guys that we mentioned, Cup, Watkins, Gurley, and Woods, 22 targets. 
22 targets went to those guys, and that is what you want to do. A great point guard gets it to the guys who can score. Those are their most explosive playmakers. Jerry Goff did a great job of getting those guys enough touches to have an impact on the game. I'm excited to see how the Rams continue to kind of grow this thing because 46 points today, and I know we can talk about the Indianapolis Colts, but 46 points in the National Football League, that is quite an accomplishment, and I didn't even get to what they were able to do on defense because they were outstanding on defense as well. No, they were outstanding on defense. One thing, though, if you want to just throw a little bit of water on the fire here, uh, Todd Gurley, 19 carries, 40 yards, averaging 2.1 a carry, long of 12. He, he, he's still not getting anything cranked up on the ground. That's a little bit of a carryover from last year. They've got to get that figured out because they're going to play better football teams, and that's what brings me to point number nine on our takeaway list, and that is the Indianapolis Colts find themselves in the race after one week, Buck. Already? They are very much in the running Already for the, in the number race? one overall pick. And there are some, there are some contenders here. When you, look at, when you look at Indianapolis and how terrible they looked, San Francisco, how inept they looked, um, Cleveland I think is going to win some games. They, they fought the Pittsburgh Steelers. They've always kind of been up in that mix. That Jets-Bills game. Too many games. And then you had the battle of the Jets and the Bills. Whew. One of them had to win today, Buck, but I don't know how many more wins the Bills have on their schedule. Uh, and the Jets are, that's a bad football That pick team. in the end zone in the red zone looked like the Keystone Cops out there where the oh. Jets ran into each other. And it, was, whew, it was just bad. Not good. No, but, I'm, you know, the, the main thing in talking about the race for the number one overall pick, and we can assume that maybe one of those hotshot quarterbacks uh, in the college ranks will be the guy that they're targeting. When you look at the quarterback play, and I know Indianapolis doesn't necessarily need a quarterback, but, the fact that they rolled out Scott Tolzien and had to yank him at oh. halftime and put Jacoby Brissett back in. He said it. it. I mean, it just. He said it, Buck. We've been talking about Scott Tolzien for a long time, just saying, how? How, how is this your. You, you, this is your plan? Like Scott Tolzien? I mean, that, that, that's your plan. And I, I think we just have to understand um, quarterbacks and what is available in the league and what coaches may have to do to help quarterbacks. And. The Indianapolis Colts couldn't help their quarterback. They oh. just didn't have the capacity to help him. And so I didn't think that Scott Tolzien would play at an A level, but I thought that maybe he could be competent a little bit, but it just didn't show up. And so it would be interesting to see what the Indianapolis Colts do to give themselves a chance to win some games in Andrew Luck's absence. They have to be a better team. If not, Chuck Pagano is going to lose his job, even though the general manager can say, look, I just want to see the development and the improvement. It's still a bottom-line business. And right now, the product that I just saw, not good. Here's one for you. How about this? When you're just looking through box scores, and like I, I, I'm sure somewhere in the back of my mind I, I had this information, but I swear to you, Bucky, it was not in the front of my mind when I looked and saw that looking for a highlight, I'm looking for some good news so I can give the Colts fans out there. I'm just scouring through a box score trying to say, okay, what did I not see in the game that uh, that's going to show up in this, in this box score that can provide some encouragement? And son of a gun – Marcus Hunt, Marcus Hunt from SMU had a sack for the Colts. A, did not know he was still in the league. B, did not know he was with the Indianapolis Colts. So uh, I missed that one somewhere along the lines. But the good news is I gave him like a second round grade and had just long given up on that as a major swing and a miss. But now it's it's the Marcus Hunt. Re- it's, it's a See, revival. See, you saw it. He just needed to be in the right environment. It's all yeah, about scheme fit. Right, spot. right guy, right guy rubbing his shoulders, making him feel good about himself, allowing him to tap into that potential. This is like what you want to do, though. If you, that's like being a shooter in the NBA, man. You want to play in the worst team ever. Who cares? You get your points up, man. Uh, you get a chance to play a lot of playing time. Uh, but anyways, that's a, that's a bad football team in Indianapolis. It's going to be an interesting uh, run here to see who's in the mix for the number one overall pick. Niners, not good either. 
Uh, all right, last one, and this is probably the biggest one, the tenth takeaway in our in our first ever Sunday night podcast, recapping the day uh, of NFL football. Number ten and a big one, Buck. I cannot recall, and maybe I'm sure it's happened, but I cannot recall a day. First, first week of the season with more impact injuries, man. There was just they were going down left and right, uh, big injuries around the league. They're gonna have a big impact on their teams. It, it was just a bummer to see. Yeah, it was a bummer to see. It, it was it was disappointing because obviously we want to see the stars have an opportunity to be stars. We lost Eric Berry on Thursday night to an Achilles. We we lost Allen Robinson today to an ACL very early in the game. Uh, some of the other players were now Kevin White. Uh, potentially suffered uh, either a collarbone or a shoulder injury that may put him down. Stephon Tuitt with a with uh, just bicep. So, so, so many, so many, so many guys. Reuben Foster know. with an ankle yeah, injury. Yeah, it sounds like hopefully the Reuben Foster thing's not too serious. The Stephon Tuitt thing does sound like it could be potentially serious. By the time you're listening to this, uh, we might there might information might be out, but that sounds a little bit dicey. Uh, David Johnson sounds like at minimum he's probably going to end up missing a couple weeks. Their left tackle DJ Humphreys. Uh, a Cardinals team that was very unimpressive. He's he's uh, taken off. So a lot of injuries. Ronald Darby the one in the secondary. Yeah, the one that I was going to say, the one might be the biggest of all of them, is the Eagles knew they had a need at corner. They make an aggressive move. They yep. move. They trade a high pick for Ronald Darby and um, saw some good and some bad from the preseason, but just a really athletic player in some way they were relying on. And it looked like just a nasty ankle injury. We were covering it on NFL uh, Game Day Live there, Buck. Did not look good. No, it didn't look good. And it, like, he was a he was a key piece and I know we didn't get a chance to really talk about the Philadelphia Eagles but they were impressive they were impressive not only on offense but on defense the amount of pressure they were able to put on Kirk Cousins creating turnovers that looked like a really good football team and obviously having worked for the Eagles you know how big it is to go on the road to win in Washington to win a division game right out the gate that is a big win for the Eagles it might give them some momentum going forward uh, Timmy Jernigan, the guy we've been talking about, a big addition for them, had a sack. And I think Brandon Graham, one of the most underrated players in the league, had a couple sacks for that football team. A uh, really nice job up front. All right, we made it through our 10 takeaways. Sully, we're going to give you a quick floor here yeah. to tell us maybe a couple items that we didn't hit on that we probably should so have. We, so we hit, on, we, we hit on seven out of my 10 that I, I, I was typing up over throughout the day. Uh, beast nice. mode is beast mode is, is the one that uh, – ran I, hard. He ran hard. Didn't have the yards, but – you could tell he he's still beast mode. That that's that's a huge addition to that offense, and he's going to bring a physicality that, that that with behind that offensive line too. That that's nasty. It's a nasty that was a combo. Good one. And, and Mari Cooper's touchdown where he just drugged about five guys yeah. in the end zone right there kind of spoke to the physicality. They knew we were going to have to be a physical game against the Titans. I thought the Raiders uh, were the more physical football team there, but Marshawn Lynch, yeah, he looked good. That's a good point here. So give us a, you got two more for us. What two more, two more. Eagles front is that is as advertised. Cousins was just absolutely pelted. Um, they, those guys are ready to rock and roll. Barnett really didn't, from what I saw, didn't even get some playing time. So that, those guys are good. Those guys are just as advertised. And Matt Stafford does it again in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, uh, we, we already mentioned that the, the, the Cardinals were a little underwhelming, uh, but you got to give Stafford credit too. They, they, that, what is this, like his 1,000th fourth quarter comeback in his career or something? Yeah, like but he's... as with some of these fourth quarter comebacks, Buck, sometimes you're digging out of a hole that you created. Right. Um, <laughs> turnover early in the football <laughs> game, but then Stafford – caught fire and man i'll tell you what it's one week but i was low on kenny galladay by one week's uh, worth of tape holy moly yeah i mean like here's the thing with kenny galladay he was outstanding during the preseason made a ton of plays he gives them that big bodied receiver but also has the vertical stretch ability and it's exactly what they needed marvin jones and golden tate are more possession receivers they do their best work on the underneath areas of coverage but now with galladay on the outside being able to take the top off the defense 
gives them a different dimension. Detroit still needs to run the ball. They can't continue to rely on Matthew Stafford to do everything for them driving the bus. But, look, too much is given, much is required. He has really elevated his game, has played at an MVP level. He had 41 attempts today, completed 29 passes, four touchdowns, one interception, only had one sack. Pretty good effort, pretty good game. Matthew Stafford continues to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. All right, I went up and I, because we were just talking about Kenny Galladay, I went and looked up my notes here. I gave him a 59, which is it's, you're talking about really a you know at the highest probably a fifth round, probably talking fifth sixth round grade that I gave him. I mean, I'm looking gee, many Christmas. His numbers at the combine: six four even, 218 pounds, four five zero flat. Um, I looked at my notes on him outside. I did not see a lot of separation. Lined up outside, didn't see a lot of separation. Had multiple one-handed catches versus Wyoming. I love his ball skills. He's a gliding runner. I don't think he has a second gear. But when you look at his plays that he's making, they're contested catches. So um, you know, maybe maybe don't punish him so much for the lack of separation because, first of all, he timed plenty fast enough. Uh, second of all, when you've got that type of size and ball skills, the uh, the separation not necessarily necessary. Does that make sense? Not necessarily necessary. It's kind of late mean, here. It's it works. Right. It works oh, for yeah. Sunday night. The double doubles. <laughs> the double doubles. It works though. Um, he's a really good player. I'm excited to see what the Detroit Lions continue to do. But that was a great uh, debut performance for their defense, stepping up, turning the game around, and then for Matthew Stafford continuing to be what Matthew Stafford has always. Been. We highlighted Jared Davis against David Johnson, and obviously we didn't get to see that full matchup. But early on. You saw Jared Davis being able to go to the edge, like we were we were highlighting in our in our VODs, yeah. and and yeah, he can run. He, man. Can, he run. can run. run all day long. He can run. He's, he's Sully, I mean, I don't I don't know about you, but I think this uh, this Sunday night thing's got a chance to work I for like us here, it. Man. This is fun. This was a good good time, boys, watching football day and be able to to put a little bow on it at the end. It's I'm, good. I'm trying to, and I'm trying to I'm trying to use the inside voice here. We got kids asleep upstairs, <laughs> so I feel like I'm I feel like I'm just kind of sneaking a podcast in here. It's under the radar. <laughs> I love it. It's not going to be under under the radar for long if we keep uh, bringing the heat like this on Sunday nights. I don't know. It's like we're running moonshine or something right now. I feel almost <laughs> guilty about this. This is this is this is a rush. Running moonshine. It's awesome. Uh, anyways, hey, look, this was a lot of fun, Bucky. Thank you for for staying up late and and uh, and doing the real work in there in the studio as I'm sitting at a kitchen table right now. Hey, man, um, it's all good. Nah, I appreciate you, buddy. It's uh, it's it's fun. I always love talking football with my good friend Bucky Brooks. Sully do a great job producing. Yes, sir. Uh, everybody that's uh, that's listening out there, thank you so much for checking it out. This is something new. Give us feedback. Tell us uh, what you like, what you don't like. What can we do to make it better? And uh, hey, tell a friend. Get on uh, get on iTunes. We need some new reviews, man. We haven't gotten many reviews lately. Got to get those cranked up. Some. Uh, um, some help from you guys would be much appreciated as we kind of crank this out. Three podcasts a week. It's new territory for us, but uh, I don't know about you, Bucky. I'm pretty pumped. I am excited about it. I'm excited to uh, kind of take it to the next level. Uh, quick note, quick note. Uh, DJ, you were hyping up your picks. We'll, we'll obviously dive into this on oh, Tuesday. Oh, don't. Not, I saw the, I yeah. saw the result. Oh. oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, we went yeah, first. He went, I, went, I went from worst to first, but I quickly <laughs> I quickly returned to the cellar. Yeah. Oh, man, really? Yeah. Bucky had the best week. Uh, Kent and I tied, and, and then TJ was bringing up the rear again. It was an under 500 week, but we'll get there. Plenty we'll get there. Lot, to recap. A lot of it. And uh, we'll get some tape work done as well uh, where we can really dig in a little bit deeper on some of these games and then look ahead to next week for – uh, a nice slate of games we have coming up week two of the NFL season. But that's going to do it for us tonight. The first ever Sunday night Move the Sticks podcast is in the books. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, 
go to nfl.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.